are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work of the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to read along, you can get your own four volumes from Tan Books. And when you go over to their website, use the code PODCAST15 to save 15% off at checkout. And if you would like to join the discussion about each day's readings, go and join the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, where you can interact with other readers and listeners. Today is day 48, and we are beginning our reading from book two. Today we'll read chapter one of book two, paragraphs 413 to 421. This is what book two addresses. Treats of the presentation of the princess of heaven in the temple, the favors she received at the hand of God, the sublime perfection with which she observed the rules of the temple, the heavenly excellence of her heroic virtue and visions, her most holy espousal, and other events up to the incarnation of the Son of God. Chapter 1 of the presentation of the Most Holy Mary in the Temple at the age of three years. Among the types which foreshadowed the Most Holy Mary in the written law, none was more expressive than the Ark of the Covenant, not only on account of the material of which it was constructed and its contents, but also on account of the purposes for which it served and the effects which the Lord wrought through it and in connection with it in the ancient synagogue. It was all a prototype of this lady and of what she was to do in the new church of the gospel. The incorruptible cedar of which it was made, not by chance, but by divine disposition, Exodus 25.10, typified clearly our mystical ark Mary, free from the corruption of actual sin and from the secret worminess of original guilt, with its inseparable ferment of disorderly passions, the finest and purest gold, Exodus 25.11, which covered it on the outside and inside, certainly indicated the most perfect and exalted graces and gifts, which shone forth in her heavenly thoughts, in her works and activities, in her habits, and the operations of her faculties, so that in no exterior or interior part of this mystical ark could be discerned aught which at any moment of time was not entirely covered by the gold of the most exquisite and finest carrot. The stone tablets of the law, the vase of the manna, and the miraculous staff, Hebrews 9.4, which that ancient art contained and preserved cannot be surpassed in expressive significance of the eternal and incarnate word enclosed within that living ark, the most holy Mary. For he was her only begotten son, the living foundation rock of the evangelical church, 1 Corinthians 3.11. In the virginal ark of Mary was placed the keystone which was to join the Gentiles and the Jews and was torn from the mountain of its eternal generation, Ephesians 2.20 in order that on it might be written by the finger of God the new law of grace. Thus, in the old ark, Mary was foreshadowed as the great queen, who was to be the depository of all that God provided and operated for his creatures. She also enclosed within herself the manna of the divinity and of grace, and the wonder-working staff of miracles and prodigies, so that this heavenly mystical ark alone contained the fountain of grace, namely, God himself overflowing into the rest of mankind and forming the nucleus of all the miracles and prodigies of God. In Mary, therefore, all that the Lord desired to operate and manifest is contained and deposited. Accordingly, the Ark of the Testament, not in itself, 
but on account of the truth which it foreshadowed, served as the seat and the footstool of the propitiation, where the Lord was seated in the tribunal of his mercies, to listen to his people, to answer them, and distribute his gifts and favors. For the ancient ark typified Most Holy Mary, the throne of grace, and the true mystical propitiatory, which he had expressly made for his indwelling. Thus it seems that the tribunal of the divine justice remains set up in God himself, while the propitiatory and the tribunal of his mercy was set up in Mary, in order that to her, as a throne of grace, we might approach in assured confidence to present our petitions for those benefits, graces, and mercies, which outside of the Queen, Mary, are heard of and unattainable by the human race. Such a sacred and mysterious ark, constructed by the hands of the Lord himself for his habitation, and as the propitiatory of his people, could not remain with the proprietary outside of the temple, where was preserved that other material ark, which was only a figure of the spiritual and true ark of the new covenant. Therefore its author ordained that she be placed in his house and temple as soon as the first three years of her infancy should be completed. But I am astonished to find a wonderful difference in regard to that which happened with the primitive and figurative ark, and that which came to pass with the second and true ark of the covenant. For though the ancient ark had no other importance than that of pre-signifying Mary and the mysteries connected with her, and when the king David transferred it to his places, and when afterwards Solomon his son placed it in the temple, as in its proper place of rest, all was done with great festivities and rejoicings of that ancient people, as is shown by the solemn processions arranged by David from the house of Abinadab to the house of Obagedim, 2 Kings 6.10, and thence to the tabernacle of Zion, his own city. Likewise, when Solomon transferred it from Zion to the new temple, which he had built as the house of God and of prayer by command of the Lord. On all these occasions, the Ark of the Testament was borne along in public veneration and most solemn celebrations amid the strains of music, dancing, sacrifices, the rejoicings of the kings and of the whole people of Israel, as is related in the sacred history of the second and third book of the kings and the first and second of Paralipomenum. But our true and mystical Ark, the Most Holy Mary, although she was the most precious, the most estimable and worshipful of all the creatures, was not brought to the temple with solemn show and public ostentation during the transferring of this mysterious ark. The sacrifice of animals, the royal pomp, and the royal majesty were waiting. She was carried from the house of her father Joachim in the arms of her humble mother Anne, who, though she was not very poor, wished to bear her beloved daughter on her arms in order to present her in the temple without ostentation of riches alone and unnoticed by the people. The glory and majesty of this procession, according to the wishes of the Most High, was to be divine and invisible. All the sacraments and mysteries of the Most Holy Mary are so exalted and hidden that, according to the inscrutable decrees of the Lord, many of them are concealed to this day. He, it is, that holds in his hands the time and the hour of the revelation of all things, and of each one in particular." Lost in admiration of this wonder, prostrate in the presence of the Most High, and in the praise of his high judgments, I was favored by his majesty with the following explanation. Understand, my soul, that if I provided that the Ark of the Old Testament be venerated, with so much festivity and outward show, it was because it was an express figure of her, who was to be the mother of the incarnate word. The first Ark was material and irrational, and this ostentation and celebrity could be arranged for it without difficulty. 
But during her life on earth in mortal flesh, I would not permit such celebration in connection with the true and living Ark Mary. For thou and the rest of the souls are to look upon her as an example during your pilgrimage. I do not desire those who are written in my memory for eternal election to expect honors and the inconsiderate praise and applause of men as a part of their reward for working in my honor and service during mortal life. Nor must they be put to danger of dividing the love of their God who justifies them and makes them saints with those who merely proclaim them as such. The one and only Creator had made them and sustains them, illumines and defends them. Therefore, their love and attention must be single and undivided. And it must not be diverted, even by a thankful regard for those who honor them as just. The love of God is most sensitive. The human will is most frail and limited. If it is divided, it can only be small and very imperfect in its activity, easily coming to naught. Therefore, I did not wish her, who was to be the example of all holiness, and who was free from all danger of a fall through my protection to be renowned, or especially honored during her life. Nor was she to be brought to the temple amid the outward show of honor. Moreover, I have set my only begotten from heaven, and have created her, who is to be his mother, for the very purpose of drawing the world from its error, and of undeceiving mortals, who have established the unjust and sinful law, that the poor are to be despised, and the rich esteemed, that the humble are to be humiliated, and the proud to be exalted, the virtuous to be maligned, and the sinful applauded, that the timorous and modest are to be considered as fools, and the arrogant to be held as valiant, that poverty should be considered as shameful and unfortunate, while riches, pomp, ostentation, splendor, honors, perishable pleasures should be sought and prized by foolish and carnal men. All this, the incarnate word and his mother, in coming among them, were to reprove and condemn as deceitful and false, so that mortals might perceive the terrible danger of loving and entertaining so blindly the deceitful, sensible pleasures in which they live. Through the insensate love, it happens that they so persistently fly from humility, meekness, and poverty, and evade all that pertains to the true virtues of penance and abnegation of self. And yet these virtues are truly acceptable in my eyes, and according to my justice, for the holy, the honorable, the just actions are to be rewarded with eternal glory, whereas the contrary ones are to be visited by everlasting punishment. This truth earthly and carnal eyes do not see, nor do they care to attend to the light which teaches them. But thou, soul, observe it and write it in thy heart, taking an example from the incarnate word and from his mother, and imitating them closely therein. She was holy, and in my estimation most acceptable to Christ. To her was due all the veneration and worship of men, and even more than they could give, yet I provided and ordained in her regard that she received no honor or recognition at that time, so that she, as the mistress of truth, might be the most shining example of all that is holy, perfect, estimable, and safest for the instruction and guidance of my elect. She was to be the shining example of humility, of retirement, of contempt and horror for the dreadful vanity of the world, of love for sufferings, tribulations, insults, afflictions, and dishonors inflicted by creatures. All holiness is adverse and contrary to the applause, honors, and estimation of the world, and I decreed that the most pure Mary should not be burdened by them, nor do I desire that my friends should enjoy or be pleased with them. If, for my glory, it sometimes happens that they become known to the world. It is not because they have desired it, or looked for it, 
but because they are always remaining in the humility and the sentiment proper to their state, resigning themselves to my providence. For themselves, and as far as they are concerned, they seek and love that which the world despises, and which the incarnate Word and His Most Holy Mother strove after and have taught. This was the answer which the Lord gave to my wondering inquiry, and thus did He instruct me in regard to what I should seek and strive after. The three years' time decreed by the Lord having been completed, Jochum and Anne set out from Nazareth, accompanied by a few of their kindred, and belonging with them the true and bringing with them the true living Ark of the Covenant, the Most Holy Mary, born of the arms of her mother in the order to be deposited in the Temple of Jerusalem. The beautiful child, by her fervent and loving aspirations, hastened after the ointments of her beloved, seeking in the temple him whom she bore in her heart. This humble procession was scarcely noticed by earthly creatures, but it was invisibly accompanied by the angelic spirits, who in order to celebrate this event had hastened from heaven in greater numbers than ordinary as her bodyguard, and were singing in heavenly strains the glory and praise of the Most High. The princess of heaven heard and saw them as she hastened her beautiful steps along in the sight of the highest and the true Solomon. Thus they pursued their journey from Nazareth to the holy city of Jerusalem, and also the parents of the holy child Mary felt in their hearts great joy and consolation of spirit. This concludes our reading today from The Mystical City of God. Day 48. Today we are reading from Book 2, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 413 to 421. As you listen to The Mystical City of God in your podcast, one of the things you might not realize is that I do go back after I record these and I edit them. And sometimes it's because I let it go in a complete one track so that then I can edit out little glitches or places where I faltered in my reading. Sometimes I'll read though instead of through or something like that. And so today in our reading, I had to struggle through one of our words, paralipomenon, I guess is how you say it. So I looked it up. I circled it. I said, what is that? It's a new word for me. So I Googled it, and the answer says, things omitted from a work and added as a supplement. Archaic definition. In the Vulgate Bible and some other versions, the name of the books of Chronicles regarded as supplementary to the book of Kings. So we have Chronicles, that's in the Old Testament. And uh, so they're saying that in the Vulgate, that used to be appended to the book of Kings. And it was kind of funny because we we're reading a little bit and it said three kings at one point, I think. And I'm like, I think there's only two. And so now that makes sense that probably third kings would be what we call one chronicles. And it's in the Old Testament then that we kind of hear about this Ark of the Covenant. We heard about it today in our reading, didn't we? And the difference between the old Ark of the Covenant and the new Ark of the Covenant, that Mary is this new Ark of the Covenant. Now, Bishop Robert Barron uh, loves pointing out, and this is something I'm sure we'll discuss again as we get to the visitation, probably in volume two, I'm assuming, is when that takes place. And in the visitation, well, Mary and John and Elizabeth are there at the visitation, John in the womb of Elizabeth, and John is leaping for joy in front of the Blessed Virgin. And so Bishop Barron always loves to point out that this is like King David who danced before the Ark of the Covenant, and that John the Baptist is acknowledging Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. 
And so if we consider what was in the old Ark of the Covenant, and this has been lost. I don't think that it's found. In fact, this is why we have movies like Raiders of the Lost Tombs or um, some of the other films um, that try to to discover uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant would have been the Ten Commandments. It would have been some of these holy objects of old Testament that we've read about in our own study and our own reading. And so contained within that were these holy things. And that's why we heard in our reading today that they were placed in the temple because the holiest of holies. And now we have the Ark of the Covenant in that temple. And so having it been lost, then uh, we now have the new Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, Mary is the fulfillment of the old. And so quite beautifully, we see her then portrayed in this manner. Listen to this beautiful verse. She also enclosed within herself the manna of the divinity and of grace and the wonder-working staff of miracles and prodigies, so that this heavenly and mystical ark also alone would contain the fountain of grace, namely God himself. So, of course, we know Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And so this is calling to mind the fact that Mary as the ark had that living manna within her, that Jesus, who identifies himself as the bread of life, was already in her womb, hallowing and sanctifying the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There is also a propitiatory, something that you would set your feet on as you would sit on the Ark of the Covenant. And then we hear about the throne, the throne of grace, that we might approach in assured confidence her to present our petitions for those benefits, graces, and mercies which outside of the Queen Mary are unheard of and unattainable by the human race. So again, this idea always of approaching the Blessed Mother as we do so with our prayers and petition, giving validation to this practice of Christianity for hundreds upon hundreds of years. There is another passage from our reading today that really I think we can see it being lived out today. Hear it again. Moreover, I have set my only begotten from heaven and have created her who is to be his mother for the very purpose of drawing the world from its error and of undeceiving mortals who have established the unjust and sinful law that the poor are to be despised and the rich esteemed, that the humble are to be humiliated and the proud to be exalted, the virtuous to be maligned and the sinful applauded, that the timorous and modest are to be considered as fools, and the arrogant to be held as valiant, and so forth and so on. Well, we see this at play today. Well, Jesus comes as truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we might be in error, and we want Jesus, the truth, to bring us out of error. And then the virtuous to be maligned, and the sinful applauded. Don't we see that sometimes? If you are living a virtuous life, sometimes they will call you out. Whereas the sinner, they applaud. They raise that person up. And so Jesus comes to turn this all upside down. That's what Mary says in her Magnifica, that he has exalted the humble and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God is doing everything anew, everything is being transformed by Christ. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I hope that you'll join me again tomorrow as we continue our reading. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.